With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm John Wertheim. Uh, she's Jamie Lasanti, and she is at the figurative wheel today. Jamie's going to be doing the podcast from New York. I am at the literal wheel. I'm driving to the Indian Wells Tennis Garden for Tuesday's play. Uh, so Jamie and I are just going to talk some tennis for the next half hour or so. But uh, Jamie, you're in the driver's seat. So uh, steer this wherever you want to steer this, and then we will kill that metaphor. <laughs> Sounds good. Welcome. And, uh, you know, we've been watching on TV, but of course, as always, I'm curious to hear what you've experienced and seen and heard being on site and intermingled with the players. So give us kind of your, um, at this point in the tournament, what's been something that you've heard or seen that's been the most surprising or most interesting? Let, let us have it. Well, you know, the rule of uh, tennis in California State uh, Penal Code is that you cannot talk about Indian Wells without first complimenting uh, the setting and the site and the venue and the atmosphere. So we will uh, discharge our duties. But but seriously, this is just tennis paradise. A tremendous bit. tennis paradise. Exactly. It's a <laughs> little bit uh, self-aggrandizing, but not by much. And I would uh, encourage anyone to come out here. And I also, I, I feel like you always sort of hear about the high end and the Nobu and the you know, expensive seats down low and Larry Ellison's worth $60 billion. But it really also has this, this populist touch where you walk around and you see players practice. And, you know, I, I needed to buy a, a T-shirt for someone. And I went in the Fila store and for $22, I bought a T-shirt. That's not the usual price point at sporting event merchandise. Um, I, I would encourage people, not not great that you get your lodging and accommodations early, um, but it's really a, a special place, a special event, and I think most importantly that really trickles down to the players. They like coming here. They invest a lot. It really does. I mean, it's, it's become a cliche, but it really does feel like a fifth slam and uh if, if you like tennis it's really a, a special place you can come for a weekend you don't have to stay for uh the duration of the tournament but it really is an extraordinary sporting event um all right that uh, this is like the f uh, you know this is like the fcc disclaimer that uh <laughs> i had to get out of the way but but in all in all seriousness people rave about this place for for good reason um as far as the tennis, it's been an interesting tournament so far. I mean, in some ways, this has been a continuation of tennis themes, which is we all love the big three. They're amazing. They're incredible. We've exhausted the library of superlatives describing them. At age 37, Roger Federer is back to playing some really strong tennis. He won his 100th title, beating Chorich and then Tsitsipas in the Middle East. He comes here, and he's looked quite good so far. Same for Nadal, who beat... Donaldson, Gerald Donaldson, after having uh, lost that straight match to Kyrgios. Uh, Djokovic got rained out last night, but looked good against Bjorn Fertangelo. Um, 
God bless the big three, but the second part of that is sort of where is the competition? And Nick Kyrgios, fresh off of winning Acapulco, he comes in with all this buzz. This is the talent we've all been talking about. Is he finally ready to turn a new leaf? But we think it's just a result. And he loses in straight sets to Cole Schreiber um, in a, a match that will not uh, end up in his greatest hits list. Uh, Zverev is already out of the tournament. He likes to be called – Jamie, you should listen closely because uh, – he likes to be called Alexander, except if you're a good friend. I then heard. you get the, uh, the key to the Sasha room. I heard um, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm a marketing specialist. I'm having my uh, ascending athlete, um, uh, whatever. Yeah, people, call you, people can be called whatever they want to be called. But uh, I, a lot of people have sort of scratched their heads about uh, that announcement. Sasha, uh, Alexander, but, uh, whatever we're respectful. calling him, do we, uh, do we have to worry? Oh, are we starting to worry about him? I know well, the, he said he was a little yeah, sick. Yeah, that's, that's the real great. How, how serious do you think, um, you know, he, he has all this talent. There's some murmurs about maybe him not being as focused or, or interested. What are, what are your thoughts there? Um, it's a good question. Do you own a credit card? Of course you do. Um, do. <laughs> pay your credit card on time. But you know how this interest compounds? And people get buried under tennis under uh, credit card debt. I feel yeah, like twenty five percent, whatever they are. Exactly, and it, it's it's that's that's about the same. It's a comparable rate for tennis expectation. So you don't fulfill your expectations at majors, and people say, "Well, you need to grow up. You need to become physically more mature. Give this kid time. He just needs to improve his mindset and best of five matches. He just needs to figure out a way to get up for these big matches." Every time you come to a, a big tournament and leave early, it compounds that expectation and that pressure. So I think what started out is like, listen, people, give the kid time. He's a teenager. He's got a lot of talent. He's won big matches already. I think we're at a point now where it's a little bit like, can this guy bring it when it matters most? Which ironically is sort of complete opposite of Curios. Curios, right, you don't worry right. about it's him exactly the best of five matches. Uh, Get, you know, get, yeah, get, get curious on a big stage and you're fine. It's, um, you know, a, a middle of the day session against Philip Kohlschreiber where you wonder who's going to show up. But remember, Zverev Jamie won in London. He won the World Tour final. He beat Novak to close out 2018. And um, suffice to say, he, he is not built on that. I, I think he was a little bit uh, sick here, but um, we, we all know the, the Aussie tennis adage if you're fit, you play. And if you play, you're fit. Um, I, I think whatever it was probably doesn't account for him winning only four games against a player uh, in Jared Leonard Struff he'd never before lost to. So uh, right. Ivan Lendl has his workout cut out for him. We will uh, we will say that. Um, Definitely. Can we, I, can we pivot to a happier note? I was going to say, uh, on, on a happier note, another 21-year-old is actually getting it done in the draw. Defending champion Naomi Osaka beat Kiki Maldanovic. She beat Danielle Collins handedly, and I'm really looking forward to her playing against Benches tonight. I think that's going to be a good match. Uh, what are your thoughts there? I, I thought she wrote something pretty interesting on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, um, you know, about parents yeah. of, of people coming up to her and telling her that their kids look up to Naomi Osaka as a role model. And she, you know, she said she was so shocked and she wanted to cry because she felt this kind of huge responsibility and she she remembered how important her own role models were in her life, and she realized that it wasn't just about tennis. And I thought thought that was really 
um, mature of her to not only go out and talk about that and say that to her fans, but just to kind of recognize and be in that space and then go out and still get it done on the court and not let that overwhelm her. Uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. I, I think so, absolutely. And it's 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 funny. I think there was some concern that, uh, you know, she, she's, she's a sweet, uh, you know, she's a, she's a sweet woman, but she's, young, you know, she's, she's on the young side, not just chronologically, but I think in terms of sort of a, a emotional development, I think she would top to that. Uh, she openly admits that she's shy and introverted and she feels funny about people coming up to her. And she's very, I mean, all this comes from the, the point of being lovely. I mean, this is not someone who is not arrogant. This is the opposite of that. This is genuine shyness. And she wins the U.S. Open under those strange circumstances. And I think there was sort of this fear. We see this so often that a player wins a major and then they retreat. And some of that is just probability and the law of averages. But some of that is that it's a real adjustment to suddenly have to deal with sponsors and media and all of these obligations. And you have an X on your back for the opposition. I mean, it's an adjustment. And I think there was a question of, boy, is Naomi ready for this? And exactly, you saw posts like, the one that you're referring to, you see these, uh, I mean, remember that in the middle of the U.S. Open, Billie Jean King sort of had to go on Twitter and say, don't worry, Naomi, it's okay to be a little strange and a little different. You owe no one an apology, which, which was lovely. But mm-hmm. um, that's not something you often see um, directed at a 20-year-old athlete. So Naomi Osaka wins the U.S. Open, and I think there was a bit of a concern. Is she ready for what's, we've seen this movie before, um, and the history sort of speaks for itself. Is she ready for what's going to come next? And she has really grown in to the attire of being the number one player. She's really feeling increasingly comfortable. And some of that is going out there and, and defending. And some of that is, you know, you're the top line of the draw sheet. And some of that is recognizing that, my Lord, there are people that are, I'm genuinely their role model. And she's seen a very short amount of time. She seems increasingly comfortable with this. And she, we, we talked a few weeks ago about how she made this coaching change, which I think mm-hmm. struck some people as strange, but I think also spoke to how badly she wants this and how seriously she's considering her role and her present role in, in the sport. And she comes here, as you say, she had lost to Mladenovic the last time they played a few weeks ago. She's the defending champ. She's the new number one. There's all sorts of stuff going on behind the scenes with her sponsor. I, I think we should probably not get so used to uh, – seeing Naomi Osaka wearing Adidas. There's a, there's a new coach. There's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. And through four sets of tennis against four very different opponents in tricky conditions, if it's mm-hmm. cold, it's windy, these are not sort of uh, you know, custom-made tennis conditions. Right. She's been great. Yeah, she played, and you know, Daniel Collins is an annoying player to play against and feisty and against two very different types of opponents in not great conditions. Naomi Osaka has conducted herself the way the number one player in the world uh, you would expect her to. I, I think this has been sort of a small sample size. You know, she hasn't been very, she hasn't been number one uh, since post, you know, she only became number one when she won the Australian Open, but uh, it's been really impressive. I think she really kind of feels comfortable in uh, being the number one player in the world. So uh, I, I think tonight, good, good segue, good segue. I think, I think tonight against benches will be really interesting because I think it is going to be a pretty challenging match for her. And we say all of this, and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, but this is, a, this is the kind of player and this is the type of match where she really either elevates herself or kind of tells us, okay, I'm still, I'm still figuring this all out. 
Um, and she's proved us wrong again and again in those situations at the majors in huge, huge matches. But I think in, in this particular instance, when she is the defending champion and she's kind of coming full circle back to where she started her really rapid rise last, last spring, um, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. No, I, I think you're right. And I think that Benchich is playing extraordinarily well. She's won 10 matches in a row. They are the same age, and I think that's that's really uh, that's really a shrewd point. That I think it's a it's a different type of opponent from the previous two. So yeah, some of this is just about keep keep doing what you're doing and uh, give give us a greater sample size from which to judge. But I think we we talked about Zara, but I think your your segue was really good, um, and not just because uh, they're of similar age. That Zara is someone who clearly still has to feel more comfortable with his place in the sport and with everything that comes with, you know, it's, yeah, it's going to be annoying. People are going to call you by a nickname that you wish were used, uh, for, for more formally, but you know, it's, it's like using the, uh, the formal you in a foreign language. Um, that's annoying, but maybe that's an annoying that you, you can live with. Um, mm-hmm. I, again, I, I think, uh, I think that's a good comp because Osaka has really nicely grown into this role. Any other young players this tournament that have impressed you in particular? For the for the Canada portion of today's show, <laughs> yes. Um, Felix OJ Aliassim, and I, I think we're all being seduced uh, by his tennis. He's 18 years old. He lost seven six in the third uh, to Nishioka after having beaten Sitsipas. But um, I think we're all getting seduced by Felix, both his tennis, but also his disposition and his personality he lost last night to Nishioka 18 years old a match honestly he probably should have won and he walks to the net all of the 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 neurochemistry that I often speak about all of these chemicals coursing through his body stress hormones and it's a disappointing loss and at the net he says to his opponent that was a great match thank you and I think that uh, we are kind of sort of perhaps conflating uh, tennis and there's a lot to like there with personality and there's a ton to like there. Uh, but, but Felix was sort of a breakout star of, of this tournament. Dennis Shapovalov is still in the draw. And then a player people know less about 18 year old Bianca Andrescu, who uh, is getting a reputation for helping players change their Wikipedia bios. Uh, she also is in the fourth round and is 18 years old and is playing terrific tennis and is destined for, uh, you know, perhaps the top 20, even by the summer. But, um, She's also gotten a reputation for being technologically savvy and, and helping players if they want to change their height or, uh, you know, put in additional info. She's been holding the Wikipedia sessions we hear. But, um, no, the, the non-Canadian division, um, Amanda Anasimova Anna continues to impress. I, I, you know, there's, there's this Marco Giron who won the 2014 NCAA championship and had, you know, Third set was up a break against Milos Raonic. There have been a lot of sort of nice matches that haven't been on the big court and a lot of nice players. But I think sort of this this overall theme of tennis, which is basically the big three riding high, but who's pushing them? And then on the women's side, we sort of have this thinking about a post-Serena world without writing off Serena. And, of course, her older sister, who for the second time in a row in Indian Wells, is outlasting her in the draw. Venus is now won three matches, two of them three setters. Um, we, so, so in a way, it's sort of same old, same old. The big three, the Williams sisters, and uh, the, this whole idea of, of time defiance, 
but we have uh, time to find this year on, on the other side as well, where we have these younger players. You know, it's been a while yeah. since we've talked about 18-year-olds. Um, I love so it, though, because... We have time defiance on both ends. Go we've ahead, got, no, no, we've got, you know, we have Osaka and Benches, which is kind of one caliber. And then, as you said, Shapovalov still in in the draw, but then you have matches like Rublev versus uh, Karen Kachanov and, like, and we had last night with, with Felix and Ishioka. And so all of those matches, you've got these young guns going in against one another. And then we have Stan and Roger, you know? So I, I think it's, uh, it's like, as you said, very tennis. Um, but I'm, I'm, I like it. I think this is a good mix. And I think some of these players, especially the young ones, I think we're going to continue to talk about them, especially as we get into the summer. I I wanted to need, ask you. Do we, do we need to timestamp this? Yeah, I mean we can. We, it's Tuesday before right. before matches, so we can timestamp it. I wanted to ask you about this is this is a conversation that will probably continue regardless of results. But uh, it was announced earlier in the week that Chris Kermode will not continue as uh, AT, ATP president beyond his current contract, which will end at the end of the year in 2019. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about this. You guys had Roger Federer on Tennis Channel to discuss. Nadal has commented. Djokovic has commented somewhat on the situation. And, you know, some players are questioning why the decision has been made. Um, Did you get any additional insight from Federer, Nadal, any other players uh, while you've been there on this topic? Um, Well, where should we begin (laughs) here? It's been a strange week in tennis politics, which sounds redundant. I mean, I don't know if you caught the, the interview that um, – I mean, I, I asked Roger about this live TV and sort of phrased it in a way where he could take the question wherever he wanted to, and if he didn't want to get into ATP politics, it was understood. And he took the ball. So, I mean, the fact that Federer Nadal in the middle of a tournament, in the middle of a tournament of this magnitude, are meeting for coffee to discuss this tells you something about their level of concern and, and dissatisfaction. And – you know, I mean, I, I think it, it's greatly simplified, but it amounts to this, which is Federer and Nadal have done their time and done their time admirably and capably taking a, a political position, and they sort of handed over someone else's turn. Novak, number one player in the world, obvious choice. So Novak uh, now plays a very active role on the Players' Council. Novak wanted change and uh, saw fit for new leadership. And I, I think that's totally, I mean, if you can make the case, that's completely consistent with the job. The fact that you're not rubber stamping everything, I think in, in a way shows how seriously you're taking it. Novak um, really helped to whip the votes and, and get the necessary votes um, up to the players council. This is all very sort of tedious, parliamentary work but basically you know Novak played a large role in what amounted to I mean people are calling it a palace coup but as I see it a board and a council part of their job is to assess and uh and make determinations about leadership so Novak wants change whether he has someone else in mind or whether he wants to blow up the system he's talked before about unionization I personally think that's a great idea I think the current tour structure is really outdated. So I, I think unionization makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of this owes to the flaws of the tour structure. But I think the issue a lot of people have, this is great simplification, is that Novak really orchestrated this. And then he a didn't really take ownership of it. 
and sort of said, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. We're talking about confidentiality. I'm not comfortable talking about what happened. And he, so he didn't really take ownership of it. And then there hasn't been a clear alternative. I mean, I think Chris Clary likened it to, you know, you're destroying a house, but you're not sure what's going to be there. So it's been, uh, it's been a little disconcerting for a lot of people. Um, again, a lot of people thought that the incumbent that Chris Kermode, the, the CEO, had done an admirable job and deserved to have his contract renewed. Uh, again, if a council and a board reach a different conclusion, that's well within their rights. But I think what a lot of people, including clearly Federer, but what, what a lot of people are having issues with is the fact that, okay, you got rid of this guy. Well, what's your plan? And that has not been clearly articulated. And do they want to completely try and blow up the system and talk to Larry Ellison and try to have a whole separate tour? Is there someone else in mind that they would like to install as a CEO in the same format? And I think everybody, I mean, it it sort of has echoes of Brexit where, you know, we, we need change. We're going to blow this thing up and we'll deal with the details later. And I think that's what a lot of people have, um, have taken issue with. So you know, tennis tennis politics is messy business. It has been since before I started covering the sport, and it will continue. But it does seem like we are at a, a fairly extreme moment right now. Definitely. The one takeaway I have is that, uh, you know, LeBron has his barbershop. Federer needs a, a Coffee with Roger show. I'd watch that. I mean, I would love to have heard, really, I say that jokingly, but I, I would have loved to have heard <laughs> Rafa and roger's conversation about this i mean as you said i think it's remarkable that during the middle of a tournament a big one they are meeting for coffee to discuss these things and you know as as roger said to you guys that he cares and if he cares then he is gonna have to put in a little work for it so i thought that was interesting and as we continually talk about Roger Federer after his tennis career. Um, I think this is an interesting point for him where he probably is going to have to go left or right, and that will ultimately affect what he does after he stops his playing career. So it should be interesting, as you said. We'll continue to monitor it. Um, I mean, part of this, too, is that Roger has an event, the, the Labor Cup, um, that he is committed to and committed to after he retires, whenever that is, and one of the big issues is will the ATP accommodate the Labor Cup, which is to say, will the ATP protect, protect the dates of the Labor Cup? Um, they like it in September. Davis Cup wants that date, too. I mean, all this is sort of nitty-gritty politics. But anyway, and Roger sort of has a, uh, you know, R- Roger has some political skin in the game, too, but um, also has some skin in the game with, with Labor Cup. And uh, it'll be interesting to see whether the ATP and to some extent Djokovic can accommodate Roger's wish to have his date protected. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's complicated chessboard. I think a lot of it is you're sort of dealt a losing hand to begin with where the structure of this tour is inherently flawed, where it's both tournaments and players who, right. you know, whose objectives are often a hundred percent at odds. But I, I think there, there's a distaste and a, and a suspicion about the way, Djokovic has, has gone about this. Listen, you're the number one player in the world. That brings to the table a certain amount of moral authority. Good for you for getting involved in politics. If you, there's a CEO, you're, you're not duty-bound to like him. But if you are going to orchestrate uh, this, I, I, again, I, I resist the word coup, but if you're going to orchestrate this regime change, you got to own it, and you got to tell us 
even in broad strokes, what the alternative is. And I think Djokovic uh, did a very nice job of making sure the, the CEO's contract wasn't renewed. And whether he resigned or he was sent off is, is really um, sort of a, a distinction without a difference. But I think the big issue is that Djokovic has not been particularly transparent and he also hasn't told anyone, all right, we got, we got rid of this guy, but now what? And I think that's where uh, a lot of the concern comes from. All right. That's our politics chapter. We can uh, do <laughs> another one next. Sounds good. Uh, anything else you have to add? Uh, I will, I will tell you one of my favorite exchanges that I saw on Twitter um, was with Gael Monfils, who glad to see him kind of back on the court, but I saw an exchange where he's, you know, um, he wants to use his phone, you know, in, in the middle of the match to to look at himself because he, you know, he got hit in, in the face or in the eye area. And the umpire says to him, you can't use your phone. And he says, but it's only doubles. And the umpire says, <laughs> you still can't use your phone. And he says, of course, being Mumphy, can I use your phone instead? <laughs> I thought it was just, uh, I mean, all around great interaction between the two of them but i don't know if you saw it but it's only doubles is such an interesting uh such an interesting thing to say that's really funny wait i mean this is part of uh you've hit on a few things at once one of them is why i I love getting this from your perspective because you are a lot of times consuming this like a fan um honestly i hadn't even seen that and we're in our social media silos and you go to these events and there are a hundred things going on at once and you're running around so it's always good to have you as a backstop i miss that part of it too is this tournament is always terrific for doubles i mean djokovic cheerios right go down the list and the most of the top players yeah and it's um they had a million dollar bonus and i love that idea uh last year they don't have it this year where you get a million dollars if you win singles and doubles um nobody won it and i don't think they have the million dollar bonus this year but they're great double seals but i I, back to my um and I, I don't know if we did this in the I got a, a few mailbag questions about Monfils and Curios. And for, for some reason, he, I, it's, the, the comparison fair, falls a little bit short, I think, just because Monfils is so 100% nonstop sort of pleasant and light and funny. And I know that uh, there are some people that w- wish he were a bit more committed and wish he were serious and wish, uh, you know, he, he says it's only doubles, but sometimes his, his singles uh, – Effort isn't necessarily what it should be, but there's right. such a fun to him that it comes off as, as benign and lovable. Uh, he, he's everywhere. You know, all the players absolutely love him. He's funny on social media. He's funny in the press room. There isn't a surliness that he would never beat Rafa Nadal and, and you know, follow it up with emojis and emoticons and, and muscles um, after doing so and saying, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm in, this guy smells me and I smell the fear on the other side of the net. Um, with Monfils, there, there's such a lightness and there's such a fun to it. Um, as you, that, that anecdote is one among many. He's sort of like the, the lovable class clown and he knows where the line is and he won't cross it. We were, you know, someone, someone had asked me, should Nick Kyrgios look to Monfils? And, uh, and I think the question was meant to sort of, this is what can happen when you don't maximize your talent. Oh. And... I'm thinking absolutely the opposite. If right, you can, yes. you know, make a 15-year career this and enjoy yourself and make friends, and, and he's really, uh, you know, for, for Ro- Roger brought it up uh, unsolicited. I mean, everybody loves this guy. Yeah, and, as uh, even as a little bit 
of a mentor in that way where you don't have to suppress your personality in order to be successful, but here's how you can do it in a better way. That's what I was thinking when you said exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. You, you be you. Um, I, I feel like we've given Venus short shrift. Yes. Um, who at age, uh, you know, crowding age 40 at age 38 was terrific. When she beat Kvitova in three sets, that is a level of, of celebration, but also a level of tennis that I haven't seen in a long time. This 38-year-old woman beating Petra Kvitova, who you know, six weeks ago had a chance to become the number one player in the world. So when everybody wants to know why Venus is still out there, she gave us uh, a, a pretty poignant and uh, also a, a pretty strong statement the other day. Um, we are... Uh, no doubt shortchanging other players as well, but unfortunately I have to go to work. Um, <laughs> this was fun though. Can we, can we do this again? Yeah, for sure. We'll do it again. This is a, uh, you know, I'm sure for you a decent way to spend your commute to work in tennis. It was paradise. a pleasure. <laughs> this was the best drive on uh, an I-10 I've ever had. Um, <laughs> but uh this is great. We'll do it again. Um, again, I always, I always like to hear how you process uh, these events. I love that uh, the Sports Illustrated. Are you using your laptop or are you using the TVs? No, I've got a TV at my desk. I'm lucky. Yeah. So. So I love that you're uh, second screening this at work. I do have a second. Um, I have a TV, a monitor, and a computer screen. So sometimes I can pull up the digital feed. And the TV, but you know it depends what I got going on. So that's modern media, and I would uh, I would stress you're doing this at work. So um, <laughs> this you've just given uh, you've just given some of the listenership uh, a, a good reason to think about a career in media. Uh, you can handle the ebbs and flows. Um, all right, this was great. You did great, and uh, I'm back in New York. Uh, we'll do it in studio next week. Sounds good. Thanks so much, John. Thank mm-hmm. you.